Hi, I'm James Rodier, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to academic.oup.com forward slash bioscience. For this episode, I was joined by Dr. Alan Wilson of Auburn University and Dr. Eric Nagy, who works for the Mountain Lake Biological Station at the University of Virginia, and who's also a member of the AIBS board. They joined me to chat about the National Science Foundation Research Experiences for Undergraduate Site Program. I'll let them describe the program. But one of the interesting findings in the article is that undergrads who participated in intensive research experiences were more likely than demographically similar students to, for instance, pursue a PhD in science and math related fields. I'll let them fill in the details, though, so let's move to the interview. All right, thank you both very much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thanks, James. So before we get too far into the article itself, I was hoping you know one or both of you could give me a little bit of background on the National Science Foundation's uh, Research Experiences for Undergraduate Site Summer Program, just to kind of give us a little bit of context for what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, sure. So these um, are are programs that fund uh, anywhere between maybe six to 12 undergraduate students um, in research experiences, typically over the summer from anywhere between eight to, to 10 weeks. So uh, most of these are cohort experiences. There are supplements that are provided, uh, which undergrads um, get research experiences, but typically that's an individual student or maybe a pair of students that work with a, a PI. But uh, formally, it's an opportunity for students to work with a mentor or mentors um, doing independent research in a, in a research lab. Yeah, and I might just add that um, one of the values of the site program is that it collects undergraduates uh, together in a group um, to work together, to work with mentors as a group, and to be exposed in a larger kind of academic and scientific community. Um, to me, that is the real value of the RU sites program. Okay, so would these typically be experiences that were happening um, at the student's home university as an undergraduate? So there are programs which do recruit internally, but most of the, the programs that I'm familiar with um, are in strongly encouraged to bring students uh, from other institutions, and specifically institutions that lack research opportunities for undergrads. And, um, and, and a big target lately has been community colleges. And so, um, so typically not the home institution is the target. Yeah, I think that is the norm. Um, I'm at a, at a biological field station. And so recruiting students, for example, from my home institution, the University of Virginia, is not necessarily the most obvious thing to do anyway. We're, we're not on campus. Um, we advertise nationally, and almost all of our students are from uh, other institutions. Okay, uh, Eric, I'll address this to you because we've talked before about um, your research station. So uh, let's say that I'm a community college student. I'm very eager to get down to Virginia and uh, do some research of my own at your institution. How do I make that happen? What are the steps that I take? Well, um, we advertise broadly to a lot of kind of targeted institutions like, um, like community colleges. Uh, but to be honest, our greatest success is through um, personal contacts and word of mouth. Um, I spend a lot of the year reaching out to fellow biologists in biology programs all across the country and asking them to make personal connections with their students and to send them to me. Uh, so. It, it really helps to have a strong uh, network of contacts throughout the country because a lot of these students aren't necessarily going to be um, looking over the internship boards and um, finding it uh, being on the right 
email lists or that kind of thing. So we, we really do rely on uh, representatives from, uh, from home institutions. And, and what kind of research might be done if at your institution or elsewhere? So this varies a lot. Um, at our program at the Mountain Lake Biological Station, uh, we focus on ecology, evolution, behavioral research in a field environment. Uh, that's most of the research that goes on here. So that is the research that we uh, we advertise in our program announcements. Um, we advertise the PIs that are going to serve as mentors on our website and other other. Uh, you know, recruiting material. So students figure out pretty quickly what site programs are focusing in what disciplines, and it varies all across the map. Um, so, you know, 80% of the applicants I get are really looking for something like what Mountain Lake can provide them. The ones that are interested in biomedical research or other areas of, of biology don't usually end up applying to my program. Okay, and, and more broadly speaking, uh, you know, programs such as these are able to allow students to do their own research. So is this a research question of the students that's, you know, been matched to a you know, principal investigator uh, at a various site? Uh, the, again, the way we do it, and this does vary across sites, is um, we choose mentors who obviously have an expertise, but are willing to work with students in developing their own research questions. So we do not expect students to come in as experts, as you know, with the skills and ability to design by themselves their own research project. That, that would be ridiculous. Um, we pair them with mentors that can treat them uh, in effect like graduate students and truly mentor them in developing questions and uh, reality checks and figuring out what they can get done in the 10 weeks. Uh, but by the end of the day, it is the student's project. They have ownership of it. They end up often publishing it. Uh, but that is really our purpose here is to provide the mentorship for undergrads to reach kind of a graduate student level uh, of, of achievement. But that takes work. You know, graduates, uh, undergrads can't do that on their own, um, and they can't do it in an environment that isn't really focusing on uh, training and mentorship. Yeah, and if I could add one thing, James, um, at least in my this current cohort of students I have, I actually uh, got an email from a student I had declined, and they questioned why I declined them from the program, and it was because they had too much research experience. And so, you know, what Eric is saying is right, is that we're really trying to find those students who are really eager to do research and give them those opportunities. We get tons of applications from students who've already done lots and lots of research and who are already superstars, but I think uh, many of us are trying to find those students who just don't have those same opportunities at their uh, That's really interesting. And if you don't mind a callous question, you know, who's footing the bill for all of this? Is this uh, the National Science Foundation that's paying for, uh, you know, people's housing and things like that? Because I assume a lot of these are remote students. Yeah, so, um, so NSF uh, is an incredible supporter of these programs. So they provide support for the student stipends, uh, lodging, travel to and from the RU program, uh, research support. Uh, in some cases, they'll support the PIs to run the program. Um, so the, the amount of funding that goes into these is substantial, but I think it, um, it, it makes a, it's, it's really a valuable experience for the students and mentors, and I'm so happy that the NSF um, you know, makes these funds available for us. Okay, and moving on into the study itself a little bit, uh, you're essentially looking at the outcomes of this program. How do you do that? How do you measure it? You know, what kind of things do you look at? 
Yeah, so this is a good question. And so how do you determine the impact of a research experience? And so uh, I was actually working at NSF as a program officer in a different program, but talking to some colleagues and trying to figure out how we could assess these kinds of experiences. And, um, and it's tricky because, you know, it's hard to do experiments uh, with people. And then, uh, but we felt like having this paired design um, would be a good approach. And so taking students that um, are selected for a program and then taking students that are demographically like the student that was selected and chose to participate in the program, but, but ultimately wasn't chosen, and then trying to track those students. And so that was, that was at least initially the idea how we would go about um, getting data. And then the kinds of data we were looking at are things that we, at least the group of us thought would be valuable uh, at least on the on the scale of kind of careers, and so things like um, presentations and papers and awards and those kind of those those um, those elements of resumes that really um, speak uh, highly of a of an applicant when they're applying for jobs. Okay, and you know, can we talk just a little bit more about the the pairing approach that you use? So this was one in which you looked at um, you know some students who had been accepted to a program. And you compared them with students that had applied to the same program but not been accepted. Correct. Is there any other difference between those students, though? You know, are they are they're similar in all other measurable ways? Yeah. So this is a good question, and it's funny because I talked to my colleagues uh, at Auburn and elsewhere um, about this question. And so, um, and actually, um, Eric knows this, but we had some some comments outside of. Uh, just an email string uh, from people who wondered about the impact of the experience itself, or is it just our, our, our innate ability to find the superstar undergrads that are just better than those demographically similar applicants that we didn't select? And and I guess I, there's multiple reasons to think that um, that the experience is 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 a major factor in this effect that we're observing. But um, but you know when you look at the data that we show, you know. Not not all cases did we find that the the participant was as strong as the applicant, and so I think it shows there's a lot of variation. And I think that's one beautiful thing about RU sites is that PIs have a lot of flexibility in how they they run these programs, how they select students. And so I think the student selection process is important. I think we all all the PIs spend a lot of time trying to find the best cohort of students for their program, but I don't want to think that that's the only reason that we're seeing these effects. Um, and I don't I think if if anything, I think our data would be uh, would show stronger effects if we were only seeking out those students who um, who would who are already superstars and would already come to our programs um, ready to roll. And, and and again, NSF is trying to encourage us to find those students who don't have those who haven't had those prior research experiences and to help kind of get them excited about being scientists. Yeah, I just want to emphasize that uh, also because it's. Uh, this one of the strengths of this study, I think, is in the paired design, and it is a really obvious question to say, well, you're just choosing the better students, the more qualified students, so of course they're going to show better uh, results down the road. Um, but th the fact is that the RU site programs are not just choosing the best students, um, and much of the time they are choosing students well, this is their mission, to choose students who need the experience, who do not have the opportunities outside of the REU program to get those experiences. So, um, you know, as, as Alan said earlier, uh, it's, it's very common to not accept students who are superstars, who've had a lot of experience, who seem a shoe-in and would be, you know, bound for success. We're looking for students who 
A, really can use the experience now in their career, and B, do not have the opportunity perhaps at their home institution to get it. So we are not reaching for the top, we're reaching for the most appropriate students for the program. And so I think for that reason, uh, the pairing uh, sampling design in the study is really quite an excellent one uh, because they are probably very well matched um, participants. So it sounds like at least in some sense, um, if you were to have a bias from the sampling methodology, you'd almost expect it to be in the other direction, you know, in which, uh, you know, you, the superstars were the ones who were not being admitted necessarily. Uh, I think you're you're exactly right. The superstars are not admitted, and so they are in the applicant pool and not in the participant pool. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about you know kind of what results you saw from this. Um, how do these undergraduate research experiences uh, seem to affect or be correlated with um, you know later work in STEM fields? Yeah, so the, the first thing that we report is the the tendency for these students, at least when we track them, to be um, to find out kind of what discipline they're in. And that we find that most of these students are still in STEM. So the ones that apply to the programs, regardless if they're selected or not. So I think they're the students who are interested in these opportunities are automatically drawn to STEM. Um, the the maybe the first bit of um, data that we got, which maybe was intriguing to a lot of people, was that we find that of those students that we tracked, uh, the participants tended to be pursuing more PhDs than the applicants. And you, you see that almost um, this kind of mirror image of, of, of PhD versus MS interest of the applicant versus participant. And I think that, so the fact that most of these students um, are interested in getting um, advanced degrees is great. And um, but we do, we do see this tendency that there's um, that these students that are chosen to participate in REU sites um, are pursuing more PhDs, which is great. And that tends to you know also play out in terms of the, you know the awards that they receive um, and their scientific conference presentations and things like that. Right, right, yeah. And then that's the later data that we show, which to me I think are are really the most powerful. Is that um, and again, I don't know if we can say that the whole effect is is related to the RAU experience itself, but I do think that this is a huge stepping stone for many of these students and that we find that in general that these RAU uh, participants are are presenting more at conferences, they're writing more papers, and they're getting more awards than these demographically similar applicants. And again, all that, you know, I think those are all the, the metrics that we're all looking at. We're trying to evaluate people we want to you know, higher for grad school or for um, for faculty positions, and so it's, I think these are these are great outcomes for these programs. I might just add that although this is not part of the study and is purely anecdotal, um, you know, I've been in this business a long time, and I hear time and time again from past participants that it was the experience they had at Mountain Lake that um, shaped their future career directions. That's awesome, Eric. I love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, and that and that makes sense. You know, that that was something I was hoping to talk about a little bit too. The number that jumped out at me was that um, those who were participants rather than applicants, so those who carried out the program, were forty eight percent more likely to pursue STEM related doctoral degrees than the demographically matched students who apply but aren't selected. So that number jumps out at me. But it seems like not only do you show the strong correlation, but your experiences in participating in the program you know, kind of seem to back up that type of experience and that sort of, you know, impactful experience that students are having. You know, Eric's, his program has been running much longer than mine. So we're only in the fourth year of our site. And so I, I'm going to let Eric take over on this question. 
Well, I just reiterate what I, my previous comment, and that is that we we hear that um, in our you know in our post program evaluations how valuable the program was, but it's the people that I run into years down the road that tell me that it was the community and the scientific support and the personal support that they got at our field station that that made them you know what they are today and um, it's it gets kind of comical here at Mountain Lake we have um, program alumni coming back in droves um, we have two of them teaching a course right now at the at the field station folks from you know 10 or 15 years ago who were in our REU program um, you know we've had significant portions of our mentor pool being past faculty members who are past REU program participants here. So on the ground, it is, it is, I would say, the most powerful force that we have at the biological station. The, the greatest uh, kind of support we can give to anybody that comes here is being a part of the REU program. Yeah, I can only hope in, you know, 15 or 20 years I can say the same thing. So uh, hopefully <laughs> we can keep our site running long enough. But I think that's wonderful to hear that. So actually, you know, that raises a good question. How long has your program been um, underway, Eric? Uh, this is our 26th summer. Um, and I would have to count up the number of, of awards, but we've been lucky to have continuous funding from the National Science Foundation for our RU site program for that long. And I guess, were there any other benefits that maybe didn't make it into the article? The only thing I might add is in addition to impact on individuals' career paths, um, the networking and the uh, colleague building that can happen at a site program is invaluable. Mm -hmm. uh, we have students and mentors uh, starting up, you know, career-long collaborations. We have students and non-mentors, um, other RUs or other PIs at our site program that were just here at the field station that um, connect and somehow become colleagues years down the road. So again, I think the value of the site program um, and having people all in one place, living and working together, um, you just can't, you just, I just can't uh, praise that more strongly. And that gets me to something I was, you know, kind of hoping to ask about as well, uh, which is the potential for a program such as this to, um, you know, help create or foster uh, economic and cultural diversity. You know, I, th I think we're all familiar with the idea that uh, STEM PhDs are uh, a more homogenous group than perhaps others are. Um, you know, do these sorts of opportunities to network give people an in that may be of service to them later in their careers? Yeah, I can't underestimate the value of networking and um, and talk, you know talking to different people, getting to learn about their research systems, the way they do their what they do, um, and that this is something that we stress in my RU site here. And actually, uh, maybe this is something that um, is unique to our program, but Auburn has five other RU programs um, at the university, and so we are actively trying to connect our RU site with other RU programs so that way students can talk to others in different disciplines. Um, but the networking is huge and it, you know, I hate to say that who you know is really important, but it, 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 it can make a difference uh, down the road. Yeah, and at, at our site, I would say we have the diversity in discipline. We're fairly tight in what people work on, um, but we have been successful at 
promoting diversity along other axes. Uh, as part of the RDU site program, I reach out to, of course, institutions, not just for students, but also for mentors. Um, and we've been successful at getting mentors to become researchers here at the field station who would not otherwise have been here. Um, folks from, uh, you know, from HBCUs, from uh, the University of Puerto Rico, from other smaller institutions that needed some help finding a place to do research, um, finding an in uh, to a community that was, could support their, their academic interests. And we've been successful at that. And the result is then, of course, you have a mentor pool uh, that can be role models for a much broader range of students. So it sounds like this is an opportunity to sort of, you know, bring together diverse groups that would not otherwise necessarily, um, you know, be able to get together, network, and, you know, form the sort of professional relationships that they'll need throughout their careers. Right, because we see that as part of the mission of the RU site program. No, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about the type of research that's um, done at the uh, the site in Auburn. What, you know, what kind of things are being researched there? I, I hope to give people sort of a, as much of a broad idea of you know the types of work and research that are being done as we possibly can. Yeah, so this is um, the second um, the the second program for our RU site, and uh, the theme is warm water aquatic ecology. So Auburn is in Alabama; it's super hot here. A lot of people study study aquatic systems uh, in other parts of the country, and it's not quite as hot as it is down here. So we wanted to kind of uh, take advantage of the heat and you know see how uh, aquatic systems work differently down here relative to other parts of the country. And so the the first um, RU site grant I got was focused pretty much on aquatic ecology. We had a lot of mentors that focused on aquatic ecology or fisheries, uh, more natural resources kinds of, of work. But this particular program, we're in our first summer uh, now, and we had so much interest by mentors uh, that we decided to kind of broaden it a, quite a bit, actually. And so it's a lot more interdisciplinary. We have so many mentors that each student is mentored by two to four different mentors and oftentimes in different disciplines. And so each student's project, um, although I, I hope is under the aquatic ecology umbrella at some level, um, a lot of these student projects are, are, are going to be much, much more interdisciplinary than I had originally thought when we, um, you know, proposed this project. And so, for example, we have people doing work on biofuels, on um, non-parametric statistics, on wetland ecology, sociology, fisheries management, microbial ecology, hydrology, just as some example that we, we have, you know, water is the common theme through all the projects, but um, but we're, we're really encouraging mentors to try to uh, leverage their, their expertise to come up with projects that interest the students and the mentors. You know, what's next for this program? Is the plan steady as she goes? And this can either be applied to uh, your individual sites or uh, to the program more broadly. Um, yeah, so our, like I said, our RU site just started. So this is the first of three summers. And uh, we're actually at the beginning of our fifth week. So we'll have our midterm presentations uh, later this week. Um, and so it's, it's hard to start thinking about next summer now because we're kind of in the middle of chaos. But um but, uh, but I hope to, you know, in a next year or two to write another proposal to extend this site. I, I did want to mention before I give Eric a chance to talk, is that, you know, I, thinking about this paper and about assessing RU sites is something I've been spending a lot of time thinking about. And, um, and I have been talking with folks about potentially finding ways to leverage more data to, to do more assessments. And I think maybe Eric has as well. But I think a lot of us are trying to figure out 
um, are there better are there better ways or different ways to uh, to figure out how these programs are impacting the students and um, and figure out what elements of our RU sites are making the difference? Yeah, I think that's right, Alan. Um, I was just, as you're talking, trying to think about where we might go as a program next. Um, I think that what we're, how we would like to expand is to increase the um, the diversity of science that's happening here. And we've done that with the program uh, already by recruiting RU mentors, faculty members, um, outside of kind of our traditional um, academic sphere. An example of that um, is we have a mentor now who's working on ecosystem services and human impacts on species diversity. Um, that's not an area we were strong in previously. We also have an RU project going on this summer that is uh, focusing on biological collections. And collections, as we all know, is an area that we need to pay a lot of attention to these days as we start to lose biodiversity globally. It makes biological collections much more important both to keep doing those collections as well as making good use of historical collections that may have species that are no longer with us on earth. Um, another thing that we are always trying to do is to rethink and improve our training components. Um, there's been a lot of effort on RU sites to um, grapple with ethical issues, both scientific ethical issues and personal ethical issues. Uh, that has been a very strong point of the RU program. Um, I have found recently that students really need a lot of help with writing training. Um, and this year I brought in a, uh, a faculty member uh, had her come to the station for a week and do a three-day writing workshop. It's the first time we've done that level of training on writing for the RU students. Um, and it was a huge success, and I'm just going to try to do it next next year, and then, of course, try to write it into um, a, new, a renewal proposal that comes down the pike. So we're always trying to keep our fingers on what's going to help the students the most and try to build that into future year's programs. Actually, and if I could mention one more thing as Eric was talking, uh, it got me, it reminded me that one thing that we've done this uh, this summer, which has been wonderful, and I think I'm going to really try to expand on next summer, is that we were able to recruit uh, two students with disabilities, and it's going really well, and so we're really, I think I'm going to make more of an effort next summer to try to continue the recruitment of you know students from underrepresented groups, but um, oftentimes uh, we think of you know underrepresented minorities like based on uh, ethnicity or race, but um, but students with disabilities um, they're out there they want research opportunities and I'm excited to think that we've had the opportunity to to train at least two this summer and hoping next summer we'll be able to to maybe grow that number. And I really want to credit the National Science Foundation for exactly what Alan is talking about because it is it is their support of these kinds of efforts that we've both been talking about that makes it possible. They really have encouraged and mentored us in building programs that uh, are broad and reach a broad range of students and really help um, kind of promote scientific literacy across uh, our citizens in general. So um, one, it's easy to, to criticize uh, government agencies, uh, but the National Science, National Science Foundation is doing a wonderful job with this. Okay, great. And, you know, I, I know that we've been focused primarily today on talking about the effects of participating in these programs on students. Um, 
but I was wondering if we could just briefly talk about, you know, maybe some effects that have occurred uh, to the research institutions themselves, to, you know, your general research programs. Because, you know, I, I understand that, you know, anytime you implement something like this, you know, you're bringing in mentors from outside of the institution and you're bringing in students who may be um, working on subject areas that are not as typical for what you've done in the past. You know, have there been any effects like that? Has it, has it broadened the approach at all? Yeah, so I'll speak from my my experience, which has been much more limited than what Eric's had um, over the course of their program. But we've Auburn's been able to recruit some of the students that have participated in our past RU sites, which you know to come here for grad school, which I think is is outstanding. We've been able to publish lots of papers from these RU experiences, so you know new knowledge gained. Um, and then you know we we track these students, and um, I I don't want to think my past RU students hate that I send them these annual emails in the spring, but I do every February 1st that I send out a, an email to everyone to find out what everybody's doing and if they have any new new things to report back. And it's unbelievable the successes that some of these students have had. And so, for example, um, one thing that I added to this particular um, program is I'm having past RU students virtually chat with our current cohort of students and one of these students was in our first program in 2011 and she just recently published her first paper from her PhD and it was a science paper like a first author science paper which you know is incredible and it was so great to like listen to her talk to our RU students and talk about her experiences both as an RU student but also as a grad student and it was it made me feel so good to, to be able to hear her story. Well, that's, that's great, Alan. I congratulate you on that science paper with the RU student. That's really fantastic. But uh, James, you really hit the nail on the head for us. Um, the RU site program um, is a large driver for our RPI uh, successes here. Um, I th think I have probably two or three uh, faculty mentors here on site right now that would not be here uh, without the RU site program uh, because I ask them to come, I offer them students who can help build out their lab and give them a critical uh, workforce to get, get the lab's work done during the summer um, and I'm offering them incentive to do projects with their students that can get published um, and they they jump at the chance to come because they know they're also going to be able to be in this the scientific community so it, we've talked a lot about the value to the student participants but this the value is at least as great to the mentors uh, these are faculty or postdocs who who come here and um, have a lab to work in and uh, get the, the benefits of, of collegiality with their students and with their colleagues at the same time. Okay, great. Well, it sounds like we'll have a lot to look forward to hearing more about in the future. Uh, thank you both very much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, James. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you and talk to you next time.